Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadge Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, I'll say it again. Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. We're also best buddies. Right, Ben? And definite human beings. And definitely not an AI synthesized podcast host. Can you imagine, um, though, if this is like after all that work, this is what AI had achieved? Like our unnamed- podcast and specifically a- our <laughs> dynamic. <laughs> and a podcast that has no name. Humanity uh, has no future. <laughs> that's right. So, Ben, just to prove that you are a real person. Why oh, don't you it's tell- impossible to do over an audio only medium, but I will try. Why don't you tell our listeners where you can find some of your latest uh, stories? So you can find work that was definitely written by me and not an artificial digital construct at Motor Trend, at Inside Hook, Driving Line, and Car and Driver. And you can find my, well, I mean, I'm sure you can find better things than my work, but you can find my work at autotrader.ca as well as driving.ca and Nouveau Magazine as well as TechSpot. Now, would an AI be self-deprecating to this degree? Probably not, folks. Yes. Probably just... all all about the confidence, Super confident. That's right. Um, ben, we've got some pretty cool cars to talk about this week, so let's let's start, right? Is that what is that what humans say or is that what AI says? We're just gonna go with it. Initiate podcast. And it's it's on. Uh <laughs> the vehicle that I drove recently, Sammy, that I want to talk about is the twenty twenty one BMW M four competition. M4 competition. So this is a track-only vehicle. That's why it's called competition. It's always competing to be something that is important, right? So I don't. I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. The, Let's, part if of, we throw the name out of the out of the way, what what can we just what is what can you tell me about this? Well, car? no, because the name is important, and I think that half of what you just said is true, and another half is a little less true. So there are okay. two versions. All- the M4 is all new for this year. That's true, regardless, right? Like good. Everyone is familiar. I would say most of the people listening are familiar with BMW's controversial new styling for the 3 Series and the 4 Series, which boils down to a huge snout. Like, giant grills up front, Sammy. That's right. I mean, if you if you take a look at the car from every, any other angle but uh, face-on, head-on, head profile, uh, it looks fine. But then as soon as you see those weird-ass grill, it's like, wow, what happened here? So I'm going to go on record as saying it doesn't really bother me. Right, because you're never staring at grills. I've noticed this about you. I always avert my eyes. I I don't. I think it's a dominance thing. You never make eye grill contact. No, I mean that's a rookie mistake. But I think on the M4, it is a little less elegant than the M3 because the and this is weird because both cars are the same from the A pillar forward, right? But there's something about the extra doors on the sedan that kind of de lengthens the front end of the M3. And makes the snout not as prominent. And I don't know why this is, but on the on the 4 Series, on the coupe that I drove, it really stands out. Uh, I had a black paint job on the car I was driving. It actually hides a lot of details on the design. I think that also doesn't do any favors because you end up just kind of focusing on the grills because they're the most prominent thing. So in on a lighter color, I think the design works better. I don't think it's a pretty design no matter how you look at it, but I don't personally find it offensive. I think this is a clunk. I honestly think this is a clunky design. I think all of BMW is really struggling design-wise uh, right now. I don't know where 
where their design team has gone. I think they made the last good looking car they made was the eight series. And then they all took a long, lengthy vacation and have not contributed a decent design sometime. Well, I think what's interesting when you start talking about because really we're talking about the front end specifically, the rest of the car is neither here nor there in terms of generating a strong response. I think it's kind of what you expect from BMW. It's muscular. it, It has that aggressive kind of look. But if you take a look at the two series, the new one that recently was unveiled, they really toned down the grill. And I don't think that was done because of response from consumers or anything, because I think that people actually like the design. I think that it's just on a smaller scale, it it's too overbearing. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't they weren't able to make that giant grill work on a smaller design. And maybe that's again part of when I look at the M4 with the the coupe body style, it doesn't work as well as it does in the M3. But Again, I want to stress this. I don't really think it's a it's the game breaker that so many people have said it is. I, I I'm just not as upset about this look as I as maybe I should be. I don't know. Ben, as far as I understand, this is a performance vehicle. Why are we wasting our time even talking about the styling because when anybody have- with eyes can look at it because if we didn't talk about the styling the inbox would fill up very quickly because it is but if we didn't talk about the performance the inbox would fill up too i don't know i don't think the performance is as polarizing but we will get to that so remember when you were talking about competition earlier in the name and how that relates to being on the track all the time etc etc vaguely i remember that so the reason it's called the competition and this is something that bmw has done with most of its performance cars over the last few years is it adds a little something extra over the base model and base model is kind of a funny word to use the M4 base has 473 horsepower and I think just over 400 pound-feet of torque. So, so from, from a twin-turbo, three-liter. Yeah. If you go for the competition, it adds, uh, I think, 30 horsepower. So you're up above 500, 503 horsepower. But it also puts another 73 pound-feet of torque into the equation. So 479 pound-feet of torque. That is a you don't big... Even get, you don't get really... You don't even get like 10% extra horsepower but you get like nearly 30 percent more torque yeah what the heck man turbos what they up to (laughs) i i think that this is what i like best about the competition model and and again this is a format that bmw is used on almost every other competition it gives you this power boost but what it almost always also comes with is an automatic transmission and the m4 is no uh it is no different it comes with an eight speed automatic and i mean like Automatic, automatic, Sammy. Not a DCT like the previous generation M4. An actual ZF-sourced automatic 8-speed. Okay, first of all, nothing says competition more than uh, having a robot shift gears for you, right? I want to defend the ZF transmission because (laughs) it is excellent. It is so much better than the DCT we were forced to use on the previous versions of the M3 and the M4. There is, it's it's night and day in terms of enjoyment. It shifts just as well, and it doesn't have the same kind of weird, creaky user. Like, you used to have to pretend to shift it into drive and outside of drive, and wasn't there no park or something? There was no park. You had to press the handbrake in some random location. You had to, like, nudge this over here, poke it over there. It was complicated, and for no reason for an automatic transmission but more to the point that transmission was also clunky at low speeds it was not a great experience just driving around town and i think that i don't think it i know it the zf is so much better in every possible way i'm glad that it is in the equation and a lot of people are saying the reason that the zf is now here is because there's going to be an all-wheel drive version of the m4 and the m3 for the 2022 model year i don't think bmw can do that with its dct technology 
Okay, that's fair. And I do think that over the years, automatics, especially the, the these uh, ZF models, uh, our units, are getting better and better um, and are becoming like sort of the de facto choice for a performance car. I, I love the ZF transmission. This is in so many different vehicles. Uh, that You can get it in a Jaguar. Land Rover uses it. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe Chrysler uses it in almost all of their products, like Fiat Chrysler. They use, they use like a – they like – make their own version of it, which I yes. think is always funny. It's not quite a ZF, it's their version Well, it's, of it. it is a ZF in the sense that ZF provides manufacturers with a yeah. certain range of configurability for each application, which is a really great way to approach the market. This transmission came out in 2008, and it is still relevant today, and that is not easy to do. Absolutely. <laughs> think about how many terrible transmissions have come and gone in that period of time. I can think of a, a ton, actually. Yeah. Um, but what is the I, name of Ford's, like, uh, always... You can always count on it exploding on you. Power shift. Yeah, power shift. That was in the uh, the one liter version of the uh, what was it? The, yes, the, the Focus. Fiesta. Yeah, and the Focus. That was not a good gearbox. <laughs> how can it? How can a transmission not handle a one liter turbocharged engine? <laughs> I don't know. But uh, anyway, all this to say, the M4 competition is quicker marginally than the regular M4. The uh, I believe it's something like two or three tenths in the sprint to sixty miles an hour. Magazine tests are getting at around 3.4 to 3.6, which is faster than the advertised um, rating from BMW, which is no surprise. I, that felt very accurate in my experience with the car. Uh, the, the, there's a couple other things that come with the um, competition package. My car, and I'm not sure whether this is part of the package itself in Canada or whether it's an option, but I had these really intense carbon fiber seats. Yeah, so you sent me a photo of the car like parked on the street or something like that. And I got blinded by the by how loud the seats were from so, that uh, exterior photo of the car. I can I, see um, what is going on with that. I like the loudness of the seats. They were bright orange, which is cool. I think it looks good. What I wasn't so enamored with was like they're very rigid and restrictive and they have like a big cod piece in the middle. That definitely, if you're the kind of person, our passenger who crosses their legs when they when they're when they're riding in a car, you're not going to be able to do that in the M4 competition with these seats. It's just not possible. It's also a little harder to get in the back seat, which is not something you want to hear when you're talking about a coupe where you have to fold the seat and whatnot. Uh, I found them uncomfortable on road trips. I uh, we're going to be talking about the M3, uh, I believe, next week, and I've already spent some time in it. And I can tell you the seats, the normal seats in the base M3 I was driving, they're also orange, but they're night and day in terms of comfort. So I know that for me, I would prefer the regular seats. That's, uh, that weird contoured seat with the bump, the bulge in the middle of them so that you make sure you put your legs where they're supposed to go or whatever they're trying to do there. It seems so unnecessary, right? Like that that shouldn't be done. There. It is unnecessary. And the strange thing about it is on an actual like track car, that's where you would have the loop come up for your five or six point harness. You yeah. wouldn't have a bump there. You'd have a hole. So right. uh, if you Which went, is far more comfortable. We can all agree. If you went to the track in this car and you wanted to run like a floor-mounted harness, you're not going to be able to do it with these seats. I mean, obviously, if you're cutting a hole in the floor of your BMW to put a five-point in, uh, you probably don't care. You probably have seats already figured out. But you, you'd be running a four-point harness in, the, in this kind of vehicle. And there's a lot of clubs that won't let you run with a four-point harness because it's not necessarily yeah. safe for san- submarining in an accident, um, which is when you slide out of your belts. I... It, you have to hit something really hard for that to happen. It's not something you worry about on the street. 
But uh, on a track, it, it's a possibility. Um, the, the competition also comes with 19-inch rims up front and 20 inches at back. It's staggered. The regular M4 sure. is also staggered, but they're like an inch smaller on each side. And okay. it has a carbon fiber roof, which is just like the regular M4. So it's an interesting mix. And what I like most about the package semi, it, whether you hate the idea that it comes with an automatic only or not, it only costs $3,000 more to get 73 more pound-feet of torque. I mean, when you're already spending however much this car is, that seems to be a pretty reasonable upgrade. I think it's a reasonable upgrade regardless. Uh, I'll tell you why. So the M4, it's $71,800. That's the MSRP, which is surprisingly affordable for what this vehicle is. Three point, I, I mean, you said under three, under four seconds in terms of a zero to 60. Sprint, yeah. but we need to talk about the rest of the performance here. Well, like, I, I just want to talk about this pricing for a little bit yeah. first. Um, I wrote a feature for Driving Line recently that's going to be published in the next week or so. And I decided to take a look at there, – there's a couple of other automatic-only coupes that are out there in the in the high-performance world. And surprisingly, two of them are from D- Detroit. There's the Shelby GT500, yep. which is automatic-only. And then there's the SRT Hellcat Red-Eye version of the Challenger. Okay. So each of these is – you know, I, I, they're all about the same speed in terms of acceleration – Surprisingly, I think that the GT500 is only like 0.2 seconds quicker than the M4, even though it has 760 horsepower. And a lot of that is the extra weight of that car. Um, and, we, you know, the top speeds uh, of all of them, the Challenger is the fastest because the other two are, are limited to 180 miles an hour. The Challenger can go 203. Uh, okay. But the real point I'm making here is about pricing. They're all the same price to start with. They're all within two or three grand of each other, which is okay. wild. Yeah, <laughs> the idea. That I you mean, can... when you consider when you yeah, are you going to make the statement that a BMW is going to be far more refined and upscale in comparison to those? Two, no, right? that, that's not what I'm going to say. I mean, maybe, uh, but I wanted to point out options pricing because the GT500 has two crazy options packages that really blast the price up. You can get this thing called the carbon fiber handling package, which is ten thousand dollars. Or you can get the carbon fiber track package, which is $18,500, Sammy. Don't those include carbon fiber wheels, which sound like a nightmare? Yeah, you get carbon fiber wheels. You get stuff like uh, stickier tires, the rear seat delete, Recaro seats. For, uh, it, it, it means you're buying a, a $98,000 Mustang. Yeah. And compare that to the $3,000 you pay from BMW to get this extra power. It seems like such a deal. And BMW is not known for being reasonable on the option sheet. Even if you... They had this other thing called the M Drivers Package, which uh, it increases the speed limiter from like 155 to 180. And that's only like 2,500 bucks. So you're still only spending five grand to get like a car that is as fast, 180 miles an hour, as the $98,000 GT500. <laughs> Wild. It's it's just I, I really needed to get that off my chest. Okay. I wanna hear about handling because I've driven an M four forty I or whatever it's called. <laughs> four series M four forty something or other. Um and I found it to be an okay car. I thought it drove much better than I had anticipated, but uh the model I had was uh all wheel drive. It felt a little heavy. It wasn't exactly like a nimble sort of car. And I'm curious how that translates into the M four model. You definitely feel the weight of the car. I believe it's still sub 4,000 pounds. I think it's around 38. So, Have we moved the benchmark to say that a car is 
is agile when it's below 4,000? I'm or? not saying it's agile, but I think benchmarks have moved in the sense that the M4 is a lot bigger than it used to be. Yeah. Uh, you're you're pretty much looking at what an M6 once was. So it's it's firmly in the Grand Touring camp. So if you've got a Grand Touring car under 4,000 pounds, I think you're doing okay. Again, it's three or 400 pounds lighter than the Mustang, which is kind of wild. Um, but it it really sticks to the road. And when I, I use the word stick because... I think a lot of it's mechanical grip from the tires and also the, the electronic nannies that are keeping everything under control. Mm-hmm. It's uh, It's got a lot going on to make sure that it stays fast regardless of how you're driving it. I wouldn't call it a very engaging car because of that reason. And I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying that the transmission has anything to do with that. I think that regardless of the transmission, you're going to get a similar experience from an engagement perspective. Um, I liked how the transmission shifted, manually shifting it works well, letting it do its own thing works well. The exhaust sounds decent either way. Um, on the on a longer trip, I did take the, the M4 on a road trip, two-lane roads and interstate highway, and I say interstate, auto route um, in, here in Canada, and it was pretty comfortable uh, okay. aside from those seats, but the suspension didn't really beat me up. It's it, it does feel noticeably stiffer than a standard four series or the last four series that I that I drove, but not in a not in a bad way. But I would really, really strain myself to describe it as a driver's car. That is a trend that I think is happening. We're getting as cars get heavier, as we get a way more grip, as we get the higher technology nannies. Um, and, and these vehicles are becoming, I mean, they're becoming far more capable, but that, that feeling of driver engagement seems to be slowly diminishing over time as well. Is an M4 buyer really the one seeking engagement or are they looking for something that is the latest hotness from BMW? Right. I, th- I think BMW knows their customer. And I think exactly. that as you described it, the customer wants something that's very quick, comfortable, mm-hmm. Uh, attracts a lot of attention and has the latest features. And I think the M4 has comfortably slid into that role. I think people who are looking for more of a track-related performance car would look at an M2 or something like that. And I think that's a smart strategy from BMW because they're going to sell way more grand touring cars than they're going to sell dedicated track cars. So it only makes sense that this happened. Uh, I don't really have any politics about it. I'm okay with this because mm-hmm. for me on a racetrack, I want something small and light. And that's honestly almost exclusively what I care about. And in, in a street car, it's very hard to find that these days. So I'm, I'm not judging it based on my own preferences for what I would want out of a performance vehicle. I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who would spend 70 grand on a car like this. I think if you did... And, you know, we just talked about two comparable cars that have crazy mo- amounts of horsepower in comparison, yet are just as fast. I think you would be satisfied with this car. I don't think there's a lot about it that's really upsetting or irritating or anything like that. I think BMW has designed a friction-free speed experience uh, with a warranty that is going to look good in the parking lot of wherever you work. And uh, that's- uh, With the exception of that front grille. Yeah, you know what? I I don't care. I do not care. I I think you're onto something, though, because the interior appointments of a BMW, I think, could could really... Upstage whatever a must whatever is in a Mustang or or Challenger. Right? Yeah, where, like, where the, where the Challenger pulls ahead is like you know space and whatnot, yeah. interior space. And I guess the Mustang is like a more dedicated track package if you're willing to spend the crazy amounts of money to get to that point, right? 
Um, but for daily driving, you know, the M4 really does tick a lot of boxes. It also does this, it does the quarter mile in like under 12 seconds. I mean, that's crazy. Wow. How much faster do you need to be? I think I don't know the the red eye the quarter mile. Is it ten seconds? I don't think so. I mean, it, it's true. Now we're at these varying degrees of. Uh, I, I really think. I mean, I don't know. It's maybe eleven. I, it's eleven nine. So like, maybe I'm it's soft, it's the same. At that five seconds zero to sixty time still feels fast to me. And if it's below four, you're in like you're in supercar territory. Most like that's what I what I would recognize. And now you're getting that kind of performance. That three seconds zero to sixty time. In a car that costs seventy grand, it's pretty it's pretty impressive. So apparently, so, apparently, like the Charger Red Eye does it in ten six, but I think the Challenger is a little slower. But either way, like at that point, when we talk 10, about, 10, like, 8. so it's a, a second in the quarter mile is a huge huge yeah. difference. But if you want drag racing, obviously you're going to go with the Challenger. But like on the street. Zero to sixty, you're not going to do a full quarter mile at full throttle, you know. So the cars are still very close. Um, when we talk about price and performance, I'm going to bring up a car that's in a, I guess, a different class altogether, but it has gained a lot of headlines over the past few years, is the new C8 Corvette, which starts at about 60 grand, but you get a mid-engined experience and something that's a little bit more exotic looking on the road. Um, obviously, it doesn't have more than 500 horsepower or however much this, this thing has, but, you know, there, there's still other options out there. For sure. For- I mean- I think the C8 is an interesting comparator. Uh, you also don't get a back seat for some people. That right. would be uh, you're not going to really use the back seat in the M4. It is usable for kids. It's not like yeah. it's not a punishment zone, you know, or punishment zone. Punishment I, zone. I, I, I've seen my fair share of punishment zones. Man. <laughs> uh, I, I let me what, tell you what you got in the back. Let of the me M4. tell you how confined I have to feel before I use the punishment zone label. Yeah, but. Uh, I mean, I would just use it for packages and stuff. Like that's pretty much what I was doing with it. Pack- packages. I love the way I love your word. Your word usage today is my favorite. <laughs> I mean, by the same you token, said, you said you said something about the rear doors of the M3 de-lengthening the side. The look of the M3 de-lengthening is a perfectly cromulent word. <laughs> Loved that too. I wanted to say it then, but I didn't. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, the M4 doesn't have a frunk, right? So that's right. the other. Uh, and if you wanted to store something under the hood, it wouldn't. It wouldn't do so well. Yeah. The sure. BMW is a lot nicer inside than the than the C8. Uh, the infotainment system on the BMW feels a little bit less nice than what I've been used to on larger BMWs recently. That was kind of that was kind of jarring. Like it just it's fine. There's no problem yeah. with it. It just doesn't feel as premium as what I'd seen in like say an X7 or an X5. Uh, I and felt I don't know why. I recently. I recently drove a, I, I think a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, I drove a three a three series, and I was like, the infotainment system is good, but it's not what I remember being really great. What like the five series and X five have, right? Yeah, but at the same time, so in a couple of weeks, uh, I'm going to be talking about the uh, an, a, a competitor to this car, the Alfa Romeo Giulia Quadrifoglio. And I want to say that that car's infotainment system really reminds you just how good BMWs is. <laughs> so don't okay. I don't want it for a second to think that we're somehow trashing uh, iDrive because it's a lot. It, it, it's really quite good, uh, even if the Alpha has some interesting driving considerations that may be elevated above the M4 uh, in terms of fit and finish and interior. Really, BMW has pulled far away from that. Okay, so then I gotta ask just a stupid question before we go into the next car. Is this like an enthusiast car or is it like the M the M branding has always seemed to cater to enthusiasts 
Uh, and I feel like that's shifted lately, and I don't know if that's the case. It, that would just seems like it, it's for rich people. Sometimes. So I think it is an enthusiast car, but for a different type of enthusiast than maybe we're used to associating yeah. with the M label. I think this is for people who want something very fast in a straight line, very fast on the highway, and something that doesn't challenge them on the way to getting their speed. I, I don't necessarily think... It's something that you would take to autocross or lapping day. I mean, you could, and you'll you'll it'll acquit itself well. I just don't think it's the best tool for that that BMW offers. Cool. Those are really, um, I think, thorough take on on the M4 uh, competition, and I'm looking forward to what you have to say about the M3 in the future. And not only that, but even this Julia that you've been you mentioned uh, briefly, which are all similar classes of vehicle. Yeah, I, it's, I it's been interesting to drive them back to back, especially since the M3 is such a different trim than the M4 that I drove. And just to see these these flavors of right around the same price point, what you're going to be getting for your money. I mean, we've we've kind of poked a little bit of fun over the years at BMW for walking away from the what they used to describe as the ultimate driving machine, and also including a ton of gimmicks in some of their vehicles, but. It looks like they can still build a, an interesting vehicle every once in a while, right? I mean, I think, yeah, more than every once in a while. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Um, I drove a brand new vehicle, something that hasn't been spending a lot of time on the roads yet. It's known as the Genesis GV70. And is this is their... The yeah. first ever GV70? <laughs> yeah, it's the first ever GV70, which is important because next year when they call it the first ever 2023 GV70, they can say that too. Um, anyways, what I'm trying to say is this is a compact luxury SUV. It's meant to go after rivals like the BMW X3, um, the Mercedes GLC, which I had on hand. Um, and I think, you know, even the Q, the Audi Q5 and um, Infiniti QX50. This is, this is it, as far as I can tell, this is better than all. Um, it is a very, co- like, competent luxury vehicle. It seems to check every single box when it comes to that, which is in terms of uh, powertrain, in terms of handling, in terms of luxury, in terms of design, in terms of technology, and even in terms of practicality, I think it really does manage to uh, fare really well in this class. Is it based on the same platform as the G70? I don't think it's based... I, I mean, is it just based- the name, or is it also like have that rear-wheel drive kind of feel? Yeah, I don't think it has that rear-wheel drive kind of feel. Okay. It does feel closer to the um, really... Um, button-down experience of the GV80 and the G80, which I do believe are on, on the same platform, I can't, I can't quite feel the, GV70, the G70's relation to this, but it does feel like a, like a smaller GV80 or, uh, yeah, a smaller GV80, which I think it's a good thing here. Now, the model I drove um, came with the more, the, the more powerful engine. You can get this vehicle with a smaller 2.5-liter turbocharged engine that makes about 300 horsepower, um and um let me make sure i get the power figures right on this one uh 300 horsepower and 311 pound feet of torque it uh comes standard with all-wheel drive which is pretty important it's even even in the united states yeah man oh wow okay and um has an eight-speed automatic transmission it works pretty nicely in my opinion i've driven the far more uh expensive version now the base the base model starts at 41,000, um excluding freight the fully loaded model I drove, you're gonna love this price. Is um, it's nearly, I believe it's sixty two grand, and that's that's everything. That's everything. Okay. That's everything. It's a big old engine. Um, 
that motor puts out 375 horsepower, I believe, and 391 pound-feet of torque. I mean, that's it, a lot for what is ostensibly not a high-performance crossover, right? This, is, this isn't this is something yeah. that's marketed with, like, an M-style badge. No, just they call it the Genesis uh, GV70 3.5, right? Like, okay. <clears throat> and I have to admit, with that motor, with that powertrain, this car feels super confident. There is very little that you feel it can't... Um, they can't keep up with uh, in terms of a regular all, everyday commute. Yeah, it's not a sports car, but um, it feels really confident, really planted, really um, accommodating in that way. It just takes what you what inputs you have and turns them into, you know, distance on the highway, which is I, cool. I, I think 400 horsepower is honestly my personal sweet spot for what I want in a daily driver. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying I need that in a daily driver. I'm saying that past that, I don't really see a benefit for myself. I think we talked about this in the podcast a few years ago. Yeah. But uh, t- to have a crossover around that that power, like it just blows my mind. I, I you know, I I just think about 400 horsepower, how it was like the gateway to super sedans and sports cars, like in the yeah. early 2000s, and now it's just like, well, if you if you want to spend an extra couple hundred on your monthly payment, you can get it in your daily. <laughs> it's, exactly, it's so nuts. Um, and then if you look at that design, that. Uh, I see a lot of um, I see a, a, a fairly smooth design here. Something that reminds me um, from the rear end a little bit of the Alfa Romeo Stelvio, um, and then from the front end, uh, it's the Genesis look all throughout. It's got these two, um, you know, horizontal light um, headlights, and it's got this big old shield like grille, but not in the way that you know you saw it at, at uh, Acura. It 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 looks sharp. People looked at it. People saw it. They think it looks unique and new, and then when you get in the the when you get inside the cabin, the it, it's fully loaded with with all these beautiful um, details. I think that's what makes Genesis really understand what it takes to be a luxury vehicle. Uh, it's the detail work that they have. Well, they have to try harder. I mean, when you're a challenger brand, you have to go above and beyond because you're building your audience. You're not satisfying an existing one. Absolutely. Um, so you'll see. Quilted leather stitched seats or quilted stitched leather seats. Sorry, I messed up the the, the See, order of saying it a third time. No, and uh, you've got all sorts of interesting uh, detail work on the on the knobs and controls. You have like that knurled, that really nice texture of, around the knobs that make the vehicle just feel a little bit more special. Like they've put a lot of um, thought into everything in the cabin. I will say there is some weird design choices that they have. Um, for example, the HVAC controls, some of them are um, touch-operated. So there's a little display in the middle of the center console that, um, you know, you press where you want the airflow to go um, or you press that to turn on or turn off your heated seats or vented seats. And that felt a little odd considering that other controls in the cabin are not touch-sensitive. Just So this it's like an aesthetic you. mix kind of. Yeah. I mean, it looks kind of high-tech. But at the same time, usability of it can be um, impacted. And additionally, they, they put two of these circular controls right by your arm. There is a the – gear, the gear selector is a circle and so is the infotainment controller, uh, also a circle. And if you, if you remember the GV80, it had like an iPod click wheel like yeah. where the controller was recessed into the, um, into the console. This is not the case anymore. Now it's raised. It feel it looks and feels more like a BMW iDrive. So these things are literally right in front of each other. Um, they look they look different, but you know by touch they would 
extreme similar. I'm glad and that they changed that controller for the infotainment system. I'm not going to lie. It was not as smooth to use as I wanted it to be. I also agree. I think that um, it. I didn't like that recessed iPod touch click wheel thing, but I think that they should have changed the, like maybe make it a smaller dial or smaller knob or something like that. Um, or maybe just turn the tur- the gear selector into some buttons instead of another knob on the center console, which seems redundant. It seems kind of weird. The car also has all sorts of gimmicky tech. I think we've talked about this in the past, but I'll reiterate. There's a 3D gauge cluster that will definitely not be noticed by anyone until, I don't know, uh, like they, they really pay attention to it. Even then, I, it is not something that really adds to the driving experience, at least not in my time with it. Absolutely, I agree. Um, and there is a um, there is a very large fourteen and a half inch infotainment display. Um, it spans a little too wide, and it's a little bit too far from the driver to be used as a touchscreen, even though it is a touchscreen. Um, that's why you have that extra knob there. But honestly, using a, using it with, as a touchscreen seems like the most intuitive way until you try to reach for it. And it's just out of reach like that. I, I don't get it. Some you need a longer can... wingspan, Sammy. That's that's the answer, really. How or like I... some kind of touchscreen stick that you poke at. Yeah. Like, you know those... Like a stylus. A stylus. Or like, you know those like honey things that are like, it's like a weird knob on the end and has notches cut out of it? I was talking about this with... with honeycomb thing. Yeah, I was talking about this the other day with, and, and, and about how um, I don't understand why anyone uses that because a spoon is like useful for other things too and does the same tasks but now i understand you take that into your genesis and you use it like a wand an infotainment wand yeah i i mean i'm i'm sure there are some listeners who are uh really adept at uh beekeeping and using uh or, or they know their way around a honeycomb or a beehive and i'm never sure they never imply that. wand use sammy you gotta careful with yeah. that um, and I'm sure they could tell us why there's a little knob at the end of the, um, the stick there, the little wand, and whether or not it would be useful in a GV70. Um, I like this car. I think maybe the biggest complaint I had with it is, uh, rear seat, uh, sorry, behind the rear seats, the cargo space is a tiny bit limited. I think that has a lot to do with the overall profile of the vehicle, which seems like it, it, it takes that coupe-ish, um, rear quarter, uh, um, into the design. And I think they could have, I mean, it just doesn't seem as, as practical. It seems like a big gulf between the GV70 and the GV80 in terms of size. But way better than the, than the D90 we talked about last week. Oh, yeah. Was sure. that last Wait. week? <laughs> <laughs> it might have been last week. I'm, I, I have to say, quite frankly, um, was, I compared was, this to a, to a GL, uh, GLC. Okay. The GLC was almost embarrassing. I, I felt bad for Mercedes for having this vehicle still on sale. Uh, it felt ancient. The model I had only had a few thousand uh, kilometers on it or, you know, and was creaking and groaning and rattling. It did not seem or feel like a luxury vehicle. It felt anonymous at that. And I think that in comparison, Genesis has really nailed what the, the feel that they want the driver and passenger to have when they're in their vehicles. I see a lot of the GLCs out there, too. Oh, yeah, there's a ton of GLCs. It seems like, yeah, it, like I said. It's it doesn't feel or mean or look anything special nowadays, and I think that now the GV70 just has a lock now on this segment until the next generation of all of these these cars come. The X3, even, the GLC. Yeah, I was going to say even up, up up against the X3. Yeah, I mean the X3. 
The X3 is nice. I don't love the design choices that BMW has made inside and out. But if you get the six-cylinder model or the, I think there's a plug-in hybrid version of the of the car. I need to double-check. Maybe that's an older model. That is a very good powertrain. That's what BMW really excels at with those. Uh, and I also believe that it's a bit more practical as well. Okay. You know, it's. I think the real only real obstacle for Genesis with the GV70 is um, awareness. I'm seeing more and more Genesis here, though. I see um, the G70 and the GV80 uh, in my neighborhood pretty frequently nowadays. Humble and I brag. Think that, I think that does mean that they... You know what? They've put it in... It, here, they put it in places where um, people will be look, will, will not be expecting, sorry, a luxury car. They put them in malls. Uh, they put them in, the, in special pop-up shops in the middle of town. And I think they end up catching people's attention with this design that that draws people's attention and then the features and price point that finishes that sort of conversation. Fair enough. I mean, do you have any final thoughts on the GV70? I, I, I think they really, everyone, they really put the rest of the class on notice. Like, I think that's the best way to say it. They are really pushing their agenda, what they consume, what they believe is in a luxury vehicle in terms of features. Um, and I think they're doing it way better than the rest of the, the, the segment. I, I think the other other um, automakers out there really need to step up their game, and I don't know how they're going to do it because we've become so accustomed to a la carte options, for example, at BMW or um, these this very like I don't know subtle uh, upgrades when it comes to Lexus. The NX 300 should be out soon, and we'll see what you know when we what that one will be like to drive. But I'm already concerned that Genesis has their their number already i would think so i mean i i agree with everything you just said um ben before we finish up the podcast i want to talk to you about a odd email that i got from hyundai it's uh it's titled hyundai motor uh, vitalizes the future mobility in robot metaverse uh, sorry roblox metaverse space and the hyundai mobility adventure wait does that mean anything to you let me let me repeat this Hyundai Motor vitalizes future mobility in Roblox metaverse space. Hyundai Mobility Adventure. I recognize some of the words, Sammy. I don't. I mean, <laughs> Hyundai. We know that motor. We understand vitalize future mobility in Roblox metaverse space. What Hyundai, on earth does this mean? Hyundai Mobility Adventure sounds like a ride I would go on somewhere. So I think that's what they're 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 getting at. Roblox, now I'm going to really age myself. As far as I understand, Roblox is a game or a platform similar to uh, maybe kind of like Minecraft, I guess. Yeah. A lot of people hang out and talk and do stuff together. I'm I'm looking at pictures now. You sent me the email. and (laughs) Okay. So when you first sent me this email, all I saw was like Metaverse. And I thought that Hyundai was trying to branch out into alternate realities and market its cars to people who maybe are non-corporeal, which is something that this podcast fully supports. But the actual answer is a little creepier because there's a bunch of photos that come with the email kind of, I guess, showing you what the mobility adventure looks like in the Roblox world. And it's all I can think of is this is a product that's teaching children to be consumers. And it's so it's so heartbreaking, Sammy. It is. Let me tell you why they're probably here. As far as I understand, there is something like <laughs> in August 2020, Roblox had over 164 million monthly active users. And I'm sure most of those are not children, probably by over half of all children under age uh, under 16 in the United States. 
Whoa! <laughs> yeah. So now they're jamming some Hyundai's in your in your kid's game, and uh, I mean, we had games with with cars in it growing up. Yeah, I had, had this like, thing called speed and stuff. And I had this thing called though. Ford Simulator that came like right from Ford. <laughs> it was an early DOS game. I want to say 1989 or 1990, and right. you could just drive like various Fords and a few cool Ford concepts on a racetrack, and that was the whole game. And it was pretty sweet. But actually, Ford developed it. Um, okay. This is the extension of that. I, I see that there's five theme parks at the Mobility Adventure. There's a Festival Square, Future Mobility City, the Eco Forest bracket powered by Ionic, all caps, close bracket, uh, Racing Park powered by N, and Smart Tech Campus, which is to me the most soul crushing of these five theme parks. Can you imagine Smart if like? Can you imagine if you were a kid and your parents were like, "We're going to a theme park today," and and you were like, "Oh, awesome! What's it called?" Smart Tech Campus, and you'd be like. Oh, no. And then you go there and it's just like some dude is showing you how you can automate your house with a remote control app on your phone. I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, that's exactly what it is. I'm curious because I think it's it is so weird. We hear so many stories about automakers wanting to reach uh, a different audience, trying to uh, expand it to new sort of dimensions like this. And you did say metaverse into alternate realities, but. I guess digital and virtual reality are are somewhere they want to be too, and have a higher, uh, a stronger presence. I, I mean, we're, we're we're poking, there. yeah, we're poking fun. It's like companies are going to reach out on every single possible platform they can. Uh, that's just what a company does. A company exists to make money. It's not an ethical concern of any kind. So, it's just whenever I see something that associates children with branding, I, I or kids with branding, it's like. How soon are we going to start them, you know, like down the path to realizing that their future is just indentured servitude of the capitalist blood god? <laughs> okay, hold on. We got to talk. I want Hashtag unnamed automotive podcast. <laughs> yes. So you mentioned the five um, themed parks, including the Eco Forest powered by Ionic and the Racing Park powered by N. Do you think there's a secret luxury spa- uh, luxury park hosted by Genesis? Or yeah, I think it's underwater, Genesis? and you have to like get a special suit, scuba suit to get there, you need or to get a like VIP invite, man. Yeah, something like that. What's interesting too is like I don't see any underwater stuff in these images, but they do have one of those like quadcopter type of electric airplanes in that has a Hyundai logo on it in a number of these. Uh, I hesitate to use the word photos. I guess they're renderings of Roblox people. Also, is Roblox just a way to make Lego digitally and not pay copyright? <laughs> I don't know, man. If if our listeners out there either develop for Roblox or have a better understanding of what, what the deal is with Roblox, they should get in touch with us and educate us. Um, this looks... What? There's a scene where a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of Roblox people that are in like a coliseum kind of thing. Yeah, watching a watching a bunch of cars watching a. Yeah, that's the weird part. The cars are facing away from them at this big screen that just says Hyundai. So I don't know what's going on there. So that's uh, the interesting inbox that uh, Sammy uh, item in his inbox that Sammy got. If you want to get into my inbox or Ben's inbox, there's a very easy way to do that. You can head on over to our website. It's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. You hit that contact button and you fill out the form. And once you hit submit, bam, it lands in our inbox. There's also an easier way to get in touch with us if you want to email us the old-fashioned way. It's ben, uh, benjamin at benjaminhunting.com. 
And if you want to subscribe to us, if you want to hear older podcast episodes, uh, you can do that at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. You can do that on any podcatcher that's out there. I mean, we're on Spotify, Google, Amazon, Apple, all that good stuff. Um, that covers most of it. I don't know if we're on Roblox podcast podcaster i don't know I, roblox mobility theme is not uh not yet added but we're working really hard to get roblox certified uh you can find all of our old episodes there um it's it's really easy to do you can either subscribe using buttons that are on the website itself or you can just search us in your podcatcher and then finally if you want to tip us or let us know that you support us you can head on over to ko-fi that's ko-fi.com slash unnamed automotive podcast and uh, you can give us a little uh, a little bit of love there. That's cool, right? Yeah, and there's a link in the show notes if you want to just click the link instead of typing it all out. Uh, Sammy, what are you going to be talking about next week? Uh, I had the Mustang Mach E, uh, which is a which is an all electric version of the Mustang, I believe, and uh, I can't wait to tell you about it. And I, as I hinted at in this episode, I, I'm driving the new BMW M3, but I'm driving the base model with the six-speed manual transmission and uh, without the competition power. So it's a pretty different experience, Sammy. Very cool. Save the manuals, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about that when we can. All right. Bye. <laughs>